Hello everyone, another lunchtime special, buckle up. I know it's sunny out there, but hide in the dark, get on that phone. We don't want you enjoying the sun. We're gonna learn about all those robots. Maybe the things that will take over your job. Not really, often it'll enable you. Anyways, we'll save all that for 20 seconds. Wow, it is hot here today. Woo. Hope everyone's enjoying the sun. Okay, 15 seconds. Hello everyone and welcome to this live stream special. I really appreciate you being here because this is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to learn a lot as well because this is again building on the topic. Everyone included, my mother's heard about ChatGPT and AI, but bringing it in from the mainstream, I'd love to know a little bit more about architectural professionals, company owners or architects who are actually using this stuff and are looking at a data-driven approach to doing creative design. And on that basis, I have an awesome guest here who's practicing what he's preaching. There's no preaching, we're all chilled out, but someone that's actually doing it from the front line. And on that note, thank you so much here to Steve Charlton from IO Atelier. How are you, sir? Are you okay? Really good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to this. I've been looking forward to it. Me too, me too. And I'll be up front, Stephen. It's been a few, many years since I've used Revit. And I was into computational design 10 years ago, but I'm a bit out of date. So hopefully you can educate me a little bit. But before that, Stephen, if anyone hasn't met you yet or heard of you in the industry, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I've been in the industry almost 20 years now. A big chunk of that was actually in the Middle East, in Dubai. I set up Pringle Brandon. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the past three of residents practice over there. So I spent a good five years building that up from myself and one of my business partners to about 100 people. And then the time was Jack was essentially looking to do something different at some point and wanted me to come back to London. So we became Perkins and Will, obviously a big American architectural firm, offices everywhere, multiple projects and typologies everywhere. But yeah, it was time to come back to London. So... That was about five years ago now. And really, that's probably where I saw the sort of the early stages of interest in prop tech, how mm. technology is going to disrupt the property industry. And there seems to be a bit of a hotbed for that, actually, in, in London. And I think it's because there's so many of the tech companies are here anyway, the Googles and the Facebooks and all the names that you know about. So it's quite a talent pool looking at that. So yeah, my background is actually interiors. I never really stuck to one typology or one sector. So I've done everything from aviation to healthcare to hospitality to residential to commercial and brought the right team with me. Wow. I'm impressed. I am impressed. That's a, that's a lot. And it is a small world, isn't it? And I'm amazed at the amount of different sectors that you've covered there. Now, I really want to learn more about your studio. Just one thing before we do that, you mentioned the term prop tech which gets banded around and i yeah. think that prop tech i'm not too sure sometimes what it means everyone has different definitions and i know that you lean into that especially with your new studio which is doing emergent tech and design so what yeah. is prop tech first of all 
in reality, it's just how technology is going to disrupt the sector. We've already had the sort of fintech, looking how finance has been disrupted and all the online banks and everything else that goes with that. Yeah. But the property industries, uh, architecture, design, construction, it's actually quite conservative. There hasn't been right. change, I think, in reality, it's been quite slow and it hasn't really been disrupted. So I think that's why there's a real interest in this huge sector. You know, it's a huge chunk of GDP for every country and it hasn't been disrupted. So really there's a huge opportunity to do something different there. And really that's why you see quite a bit of investments coming in from sort of institutional investments, coming into prop tech funds and, and looking for the next big thing. So it's really exciting, but it's still quite a small sort of the bleeding edge of the industry that are looking at this. With things like ChatGPT and BARDS, which has come out, in reality, it's come to public attention, I guess, in the last year. And I think there's an awakening happening. And I think people are starting to freak out a bit about us, what it really means. Yeah, I'll say that. You're right. I think in November, when people grasp the word ChatGPT, suddenly everyone gets scared about AI. However, I've been using similar versions, GPT 2.0, which was Jasper AI of a year or two before. And yeah. now... You you said as well, so you've seen a lot of Perkins and great company. Yeah. One quick yeah. note, at one point it was named Pringle Brandon's Perkins and Drew or something. Am I yeah, Pringle Brandon Perkins and it was Pringle Brandon Drew, I think, at one point. Then it was Pringle Brandon Perkins and Well, and then eventually it just it was Perkins and Well. But yeah, they're a fantastic company, a really great company, and learned so much from working with them and the scale and the types of projects they're looking at and just the resources that you have. So you can do really cool stuff. Yeah, I used to get asked if John Drew was my father or uncle all the time for Stephen Dew in the name. And now it's changed again. I get asked that less, but I know John Drew's a fantastic designer. And so are you. How now let's talk about then what you're doing because while yeah. Perkins and Will is awesome, equally it's quite exciting what you're doing now. And you set yeah. up this new company, and I'd love yeah. to know more about it. So I'll bring up the website, which could be one of the coolest websites I've seen in the world. It's up there. I'm not allowed to pick favorites, but it's definitely a good one. Can you tell us all about IO then? Yeah, it's interesting that you know, design and data. I think really what I believe is the future is a blend of creativity and data. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create this business where data and design works hand in glove. And by awesome. doing that, you learn what is achievable, what's possible and vice versa from the other side. Design teams and architects and, and, and designers don't really know what's possible with machine learning. In reality, why would they? And then the sort of the data scientists and the scripters, the pro all that sort of stuff, they don't know what the creatives can do because it's just two different worlds. So by bringing wow. them together, if anything, I'm hoping to get some sort of, get some sparks of innovation that we just didn't think about before. It, it's interesting that it was when I came back to London, I was starting to have conversations with clients and the, the conversations really resonated with me because they were some of the sophisticated clients were asking myself and asking the teams, why, why are you presenting this design to us? Why are you presenting this massing, the adjacencies? Why is the design the way the design is? And the reality was the answer and the answer actually from within the industry is trust us. We've been doing this a long time. We've been practicing architecture and design for 10, 15, 20 years. Or our firm's been doing it for 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is. Yeah. It's basically yeah. just saying, you have to trust that we know what we're doing. And clients, in reality, they go to the best reputational firms 
to de-risk their projects because they've probably got the best architects and designers and they've got strong teams and strong pedigree. But I think what they were really asking for was evidence. They were asking for data. They wanted data to show why you got to where you got to. So they wanted you know, evidence-based design, data-driven design. And the reason they're asking for that is because they're seeing that in other parts of their lives. In every other sector, it's, it's acceptable that you get data and informs your decision-making process. So that was really, it was something that really stuck with me. And I think it was because the people who are now becoming the leaders of these businesses are of an age where they were brought up on computers. You know, they were brought up on Ataris and Amigas and all the stuff that you probably remember and I remember. They're getting to a place where they are the decision maker and they feel comfortable and they want to be using data. That's just the way they've been brought up, essentially. Yeah, makes complete sense. And I've always found that as well, that computational design can also be seen as a specialism. But it's interesting what you say that actually looking at how you deal with this data should be the actual approach of the practice. Have you yeah. found then, you taught in here, I'm looking at the website, which really explains it really well. I'll bring the link up again, but we talk about using big data. And I found it really interesting where you're talking about the human truth, the place truth, and looking at that data. How do you even begin, Steve, tackling this approach with all these data sources? What do you do with them? I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, as a studio, IO begins and packing this and decrypting yeah stuff. there was a lot of hard thinking and there was a lot of mess to start with because you've got yeah. all of this data you've got all of these ideas and i think I, whenever i try and think about a project or a strategy simplification is the most important thing to do it's if you strip it right back and you go what are we really trying to achieve what's really important and how do we make it as simple as possible to communicate to ourselves and to our clients and anybody from the outside. So that's what we really try to do is just really simplify the concept of what we're doing. Because if people get it, if they get the concept, it's so much easier to comprehend and it's so much easier to deliver and it's so much easier to believe in because you just you get it. If you overcomplicate stuff, it's it's just it's too much and you lose interest and it's really difficult to steer a path if you do that. Yeah, makes complete sense. And I agree with you. I think it's interesting because you're embracing these technologies. Now, some people, I've heard some conversations where the AI is coming, people don't want to deal with it. It reminds me a little bit about people talking about Revit 10 years ago. I don't want to deal with BIM. Let's leave it be. Some don't do it and they don't want to do it. Even where even I think as an industry, we still haven't embraced Revit really. It's like almost people are doing it because they have to do it. It's not, they don't want to do it. They don't want to fully deep dive into it and use it in the way that it's, it's meant to be used. And I think that's indicative actually of the industry. It's not criticism. It's just, we, I think there's a romanticism about design that we like to think that it's, it's about sort of the mind to the hands, to the pen, to the paper. And it is hundred percent. My belief is that we can augment the process with technology. We can be better, we can yeah. be faster, we can be more accurate. We can deliver better solutions by augmenting not taking over we're not i'm not saying we should let ai do everything that's it makes no sense to do that but we should embrace it because that's the way forward i agree as i run a business myself and my v1 ai is that if i can give the most mundane or arduous tasks to to that to enable me to do other stuff i think actually in a one way it's a liberator now when you were talking about all this stuff i think 
before when it came to Reddit, it was actually winning people over by giving them real case studies or examples of how it can be used to save them time, efficiency, yeah. or money. Because it's going to be a pain in the ass at the start, but once you get to grips with it, it gets better. Now, yeah. in terms of you and your business so far, have yeah. you got like a real life case study or point of view that you can illustrate? So on your current yeah. projects then, Steve, do you use this technology all the time to optimize things for the clients then? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So we, it's probably best I explain two, there's almost two key things that we're doing at the moment. Yep. There's lots of other small, like this, like how do we use mid-journey in the design process? There's always stuff like that going on. But the two lenses, as we call them, is that, is that sort of place truth and, and human truth. So place truth is really just saying it. What if we know everything that's happening within the location that you're currently in or thinking about moving to or thinking about purchasing? So within walking distance of a location, if you can have everything about the sustainability of the area, the sort of the mobility data sets, the crime data sets, the, the social demographic data sets, the economic data sets, you know, there's a lot of information. There's thousands of data sets. But in an instant, you could know it. And what we're trying to do is, and what we've started to do proof of concept on, is basically you have to weigh the data, give it relevance. But to give it relevance, you need to know how to give it relevance. You need to know what's important to that client or to that sector. And that's why these two things need to come together. It's pointless just having a tech team delivering a product when they don't really know the people who are going to use it, what they need, and they don't know yeah. the clients in terms of what the clients, their aspirations are and how they're thinking. And the people that really know that is us. We've been doing it for a long time. We have this knowledge in our head. And that was the sort of the issue of, we all have it in our heads, but it's not structured. It's not documented. It's not stored in a way that can be reused. When that individual leaves a company and moves to the next company, they take that knowledge with them, which it is what it is, but there's a better way of doing that. There's a way of doing it where we learn from it and we create a sort of a circularity in information. So we're constantly learning, improving, getting better and really understanding what works and what doesn't work. So that's a, it's a really big shift. So it's almost saying the truth is basically what's already there. It's the history. Everything that's happened and everything that's happening as of today and yesterday and months gone by, we're capturing that, which is a big task in reality. It's a two-year task to do that, minimum. And that, a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And it's restricted to London and the outer areas because there's a cost of purchasing data and it's the time and resource needed to analyze it and scrub it and clean it and structure it. But you need that data to be done and to be used because that's the learning model. You need that for machine learning to learn from. So you can't skip that, that step. So that's basically the big focus at the moment on what we're doing. And then your, your AI and machine learning has something to learn from. So that's the, the end of 20, end of next year. We're moving into that next phase. And similarly on the human truth, I'm not going to go to the detail because it can sound quite dystopian, but using data that is in the public domain to understand the people, the types of people and the sectors of society or the levels of seniority that live or work or go to these venues for entertainment. If we can understand who they really are and what they like, what they don't like, what their dreams or aspirations are, what they believe, things that they're interested in, without having to ask them. That's an amazing starting point. If we know the truth about the place and the truth about the people, 
then we start the brief, then we start design. We've almost de-risked the project if we've done that. And we know who we're designing for. Because at the moment, we've got opinions. And clients, clients go to the best firms for the best opinions. But why not have the real data? It's there. It's just a case of getting it and capturing it and understand how to use it. Well said. It's it's very interesting. And it seems that we one or two people in the audience will agree. And one one Mr. Anonymous, I think they just gotta click a button, but we'll call him Mr. Anonymous as I agree. AI will open so many opportunities for us to focus on the big picture and strategic sides. And this is sounds like what you're touching upon. Now with mid-journey, which even in the you mentioned that before, I think that there's been like a lot of people have tried it out can use it for a bit more of a mood board or atmospheric yet it's more about giving a feeling it's less about what you've talked about Stephen, in terms of actual raw information but maybe that's an assumption that i've got right or wrong what's your thoughts on tools like mid-journey in the in the design process then i think there's value 100 there's value to it and i think the reality is where it is right now versus where it'll be in a year's time will completely change how we think about the design process the technology, yeah. the speed in which this stuff's going to change and it's going to learn and it's going to get better and better and it's going to get feedback from the industry. I know different sectors, different industries who are using this right now. So all that feedback's going to go into the development and it's going to adapt and it's going to get better and smarter. And I think that really is why that's what freaks a lot of people out. Going, do we need to employ designers? Do we need to employ architects? This could probably do my job. And honestly, there'll be some clients who will start using this stuff and they will cut out the design process, not to pick on people, like, but a volume house builder who's going to do repetition of volume houses over a massive land. They're going to definitely try and use this stuff because it's bottom line for them. It's about money. Some of the D&B companies, 100%, they're going to start using this and they're going to reduce their overhead for designers is what it is. But yeah. I think there will be, in my mind, there'll always be a place for the most talented, the most creative People, there'll always be a place because actually you'll want to know that it's done by somebody who has feelings and has experience and has can innovate in a way that this can't. So you, this stuff can only really do what it's seen before. Um, whereas as humans, we can create new things. We can do things that have never been seen before. Like Quentin Tarantino from movies, an AI is not going to write that script because it just hasn't been done before. When it starts coming out like that, it's completely new. Yes. There'll always be, there's always space for talent, but it will change the industry. There'll be people, roles will disappear, but new roles will appear as well because they have to, to look at ethics, to look at the quality of the data, the diversity of the data and everything else. Yeah, I agree. I think that when I was a part one, I've got, there was a lot of good tasks. I'd done a lot of things I was learning. There was like one or two of those weeks, Stephen, where I was doing the collage in Photoshop. And I always think now with the AI in Photoshop, Basically, yeah. the stuff I was spending ages doing, you could just knock out in 10 seconds. So that task, what I would have done before, yes, would be completed by yeah. computers. But I still had to run around and do all the binding and all that stuff in the room. So yeah. I never think it's going to replace everything. But like you said, again, it gives the opportunity for the company owner, a team leader or anything to put resources on other stuff. And. What I was going to ask you on that note, do you see, do you think the industry is already changing with this stuff or is it more a few companies like yourself where you're saying it's going to be a core part of our business, we're going to run with it? I think it's 
the industry's not changing yet. Uh, I, I get a lot of feedback where, it's, and I don't mind this, I can take all feedback, that no, that's not going to happen. This isn't, it's almost bury your head in the sand stuff. It's this belief that it's not going to happen. And it will. So I think in a way, what's going to happen is the innovative companies will get such a head start that it'll be difficult to catch up. So you'll probably see a bunch of acquisitions down the line from big companies looking to buy talents and buy the expertise in to, to catch up. But you can't undo it. AI is out there. It's not going to change. The speed in which the change is coming is going to be it's going to accelerate. And I think it's going to surprise a lot of firms as well going forward. You mentioned there's something like, I think it's about like 80-20. If, if we can get AI, machine learning to do 80%, get to a place where a lot of the basic stuff, repetitive stuff, take it to 80%, but then we as humans, the sort of the people who know what we're doing, we can focus 100% of our time on that final 20%, then the output is going to be greater than the sum of parts. And it's really going to, it's really going to change how we think about doing these things. And that's what's, I think that's the way we should be thinking about it. We're going to be, we're not going to do things in the same way. The designs will be different and they can be different because we've got more time. We've almost killed ourselves as an industry, giving away stuff for free. The fees aren't going to suddenly increase. So what do we do? We spend less time doing stuff that we really don't need to be doing and more time on the stuff to be more research on projects, more think, more creative thinking and more innovation. And that's what we should be doing. So. Hopefully we can do that and not squeeze down our fees to where they are now. Hopefully there's a, an increase in fees or an increase in profitability. So as an industry, we can get salaries up and do what we need to really do to, to keep people in the industry and make it attractive. Yeah, said, and we could have a whole podcast episode on not giving away stuff for free because I do think that is a huge problem full stop. No, I think that's it. It's done now. So the question is, how do you do something different now moving forward? And I think that's the piece that's interesting. How can uh, yeah. you use technology to drive productivity and be able to charge more money and be able to charge higher fees? Because we're seeing more as experts, whether the McKinsey or the Boston consultant of the sort of the, the, the construction and design industry. Very insightful, and I appreciate you sharing that. We have had one or two comments that have come in while we're talking. Tapio says, great conversation, passively harv harvested, brackets, non-subjective data on actual human behaviors in a specific space is such an underutilized design tool. Now, I'm going to be very honest, Tapio. I'm not too sure what half of that means. However, Stephen, maybe you can comment on that as well. Is that something that you share a sentiment on? Agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I massively agree with that. So I, so I'm not the best designer in the world. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think I'm more interested in the, the business of design. And so strategically thinking how we can make things better, how we can be smarter, how we can do things differently. And I used to get very frustrated with a lot of design briefs that I got where it's almost like the client just wants this silhouette in the skyline. They want this sort of beautiful architecture or beautiful design, and they don't really care about the people who are going to occupy the space. So in my mind, what we should be doing is thinking about how humans use space. And then yeah. they should be the center of attention, whether it's a hospital, a school, an office, a home, how are the people who are going to occupy that space? How are they going to use it? How are they going to enjoy it? What is right for them? And then the architecture should come off from that. The design should be secondary to the human experience. So 
for me, the concept of understanding truly who are the people who are actually going to be in this space and really understanding them, if we know that and then build out from that, the end product is going to be so much better. And that actually ties into things like diversity. Who are we designing for? Let's really understand who they are. And we can give such a more sort of bespoke solution. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm learning and thank you, Stephen and Tapio. Maybe you need to be the host next time because I'm I'm more than me, but really good question. Rohan actually has a question for you, Stephen, where he says, as an individual from the architecture or construction industry, how can one start to learn about AI and data to stay ahead of the game if it's ever going to be used in the construction industry? Any tips, Stephen, where to begin with all this stuff? My tip would be think about it as learning another language. Go and learn how to use Python, 100%. So if you're going to learn to speak another language, think of it as another language. Go and learn how to think it and use it. Do that. If you do that, I think that will keep you ahead of the game. And I think to think of architecture and design as just something that's a creative piece, you need to add the other part. You can still be creative in coding instead of language. It's just adding that other thing to what you're doing. It's like the fundamentals that you need to understand. So I would definitely encourage that. And a lot of the universities and colleges are starting to add that into the curricular as well. So yeah, that would be the key thing. Yeah. And I'm building upon that because I have a friend who was an architectural assistant now. He's a front end coding designer. And we were done the pub and I said about ChatGPT, he starts doing code. And he made a very good point because it's not about generating the code. It's about the command of the language, exactly like we, we're speaking now, and understanding it to wield it, to do what you want. And, uh, and I thought he made a pretty good point. So you are right. It's, it's quite important. I also, Steve, start seeing people now doing maybe guides on how to utilize mid-journey and people are now building stuff which are pro- is proprietary on yeah. open AI and stuff. Would you encourage people to keep experimenting in this space while it's still yeah. in the infancy now? Yeah, obviously, so we're up to, we started in September, our headcount's about six at the moment. I think it'll be maybe 10 by the end of the year, something like that. <laughs> but I think what I'm saying to you, we're bringing in data scientists. Obviously, so we need the data the people. But with the design team, what I'm saying to them is, look, 80% of your job is your day job. It's the stuff that you know you're doing. It's the drawn packages. It's the creative piece and the stuff you do. But 20% needs to be about the, the, sort of the thoughts of, oh, there you go. There's more than that, actually. So 20% needs to be you're about... You're growing so fast. You can't, you've got to keep up to date with the website yeah. then, huh? There was a photo shoot, actually, last week. 20% about innovation, about thinking about, how can we use this new technology, whether it's the Adobe piece that you talked about with Photoshop, whether it's Midjourney, whether it's ChatGPT plugins. I think Meta is going to release the language model in open source. There's a really cool software mm-hmm. called Hyper, which is, again, it's open source clouds, almost an alternative way of thinking about Revit. Just look at ways of doing things differently and integrating them into the process and experiment. I think a lot of this stuff might fall by the waysides in terms of individual software components and some of it won't, but the concept of doing things differently, trying new ways of using things, looking at what other sectors are doing, other industries and how we can integrate their way of doing things into our sector. It's more about that, it's experimentation. And the reality is it's easier in a startup. The smaller you are, the more agile you can be and the less risk there is in terms of making mistakes. You can undo yeah. it quite quickly. The bigger you get, the more you're established, 
the more difficult it is to change paths. And that isn't a criticism. It's just, it just is what it is. It makes sense when you think about it. And I guess that's why it's so much fun doing this. Every day is different. The conversations we have, it can change your, it can change your view and direction, which is cool because it's, there's nothing wrong with changing direction. Actually, you should, you should maneuver and quickly pivot when you can and when you need to. Yeah, well said. And it's very fascinating. As a small company like myself, I agree. I try not to add too many rules and stuff. Organically, you learn as you go. Now, what I was going to ask is, because on the architecture social, the roots in all this has always been um, talking about careers, self-learning, and a lot of what we're talking about is skilling up, which is fantastic. Now, you are a key part you're a founder of this studio so i imagine as you mentioned you're going to be growing and stuff and there might be someone in the audience that's listening that thinks oh i'd like to work on steven's team now in terms of applications whether they're from an architect or part two part one do you have any tips especially when it comes to this theme of tech or what you'd be looking for that would stand out to you steven in an application right now or anything you would advise anyone or maybe you earlier in your career, if they were looking to join you, is this stuff that they should think about when doing a CV and portfolio in 2023? Yeah, I think obviously the basics need to be in there, which is a given, but I think I, I'm more interested for me personally in what I'm doing. I'm more interested in that, the concept that there's an interest and then they're intrigued by future technology. So they're thinking about what's in the future. And that could be anything from they've learned Python, or they're using Midjourney at the moment, or they're working on ChatGPT plugins, or they're doing a course in machine learning at UCL. It almost, it don't, I don't really care what it is. It's more just that they're open and that they're trying to embrace these new technologies rather than a lot of people who are trying to push them away and saying, it's, we don't need it. It's going to take all our jobs. It's more that mindset that let's, let's think about the future and not be scared of it. So I think if somebody can get that across in their CV and portfolio, then obviously I'm going to be really interested to chat to them. Go. That, that's true. Yeah. And it's the intention. I think half of it's doing it, isn't it? It's very important, like you say, going, being part of a part-time university thing or yeah. making something or having it out there, as well yeah. as the passion, I think, trialing and failures and all that good stuff. Uh, is. Yeah. And even it can be outside of our sort of what you would normally define as our scope. So... I'm interested in profiling. So how does, you know, targeted marketing, LinkedIn, Instagram, targeted marketing, how does it work? Understanding the methodology of it. And everybody knows, everybody thinks that computers are listening to us and they target us with the latest marketing about the holiday destination you've been thinking about. But it's not really that. It's, it is algorithms. It's linkage of, it's linkage of data and predictive analysis and things like that. So people are interested in that. Again, we design for people. And I think we should always go back to that, that we design for people. So by understanding people and how people think and how people react and how people go about their lives, the more we understand about that, the better we can do projects, buildings that fit around them. So yeah, anything like that is going to be super interesting for me and people who are thinking like me. Yeah, that's really useful. And thank you for sharing that. I was going to ask you one more quick thing because you, so you've got your practice or your studio even by the word practice that's an old it's it's this it's this emergent studio that you've got but what are you excited for then at the moment Stephen, in the next year or two whether it's your business or where the industry's going let's yeah. know what you're excited about I mean, it was interesting i was chatting to you a bunch of pure 
data science people who know nothing about what we do. And they're super excited about what I'm trying to achieve. And it's and some of the comments where you're aiming for the stars, which is a good thing. I don't think I am. But once we have the learning material and then we move to predictive analysis and machine learning, that really excites me. That's the sort of, for me, that's the game changer. And weirdly, the sort of the advent of these large language models like ChatGPT and BARD, the timing of that's been quite interesting that it's coming at the same time. So by the time I'm ready and I've got this information done and we've tested it and we're using it with clients, the AI piece can start plugging some of the gaps and moving it forward. So that, it feels really exciting. And it was just really nice to get that reassurance that I am heading in the right direction. People don't think I'm crazy. That was quite nice and reassuring. So yeah, that's really interesting. I think in the widest scale of things, yeah, there's definitely the sort of, uh, I guess there's two views on how this is going to go with the sort of AI in general. There's dystopian view, which is anything from Terminator to whatever in between. But then there's the other piece, which we're going to be healthier. We're going to be more productive. It's going to really support us as humans and make our lives better. So I think um, the speed in which sort of technology changes from like the i was it the iPads to the not the what was the original one the iPod, yeah, iPods and the technology shift in that was immense. I think the technology shift we're going to see in the next five years is going to be even greater. So things like targeted medicine, looking at all the ability to basically treat exactly the issues that you're going to have, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. Actually, what we're going to see. I'm with you. I find it exciting. I say, I think what a time to be alive. My partner in real life, on the other hand, thinks it's absolutely terrible. So I know it's all right. We're not running the business together. It's cool. Yeah. What I was going to say is before we get your contact details and stuff, I normally like to open it up the other way because it's not fair that I get to ask all the questions and you eloquently answered them. And I was wondering if you had one or two questions for me and it can either be on basically... The Architecture Social is an online community platform. The podcast has got marketing trends, but also, you know, where the revenue of the business comes from. As I publicly said all the time, a lot of it's on recruitment. So I see industry trends and stuff. Yeah. Steve, do you want to pick my brain's lines live or ask me one or two questions at all? I guess I'm intrigued. If it's, it's quite, it feels quite isolating what we're doing. It doesn't feel like there's many companies looking at this sort of stuff. Which, in a way, I like, because that means either mom's a really good thing or I'm just being stupid. But I think it's a really good thing. But are you seeing are you seeing companies really asking for this, asking for the experience in machine learning and programming and Python and all, all the other things? Absolutely not. So if I get someone who comes to me, I know it's where the talent to go to. But it's very rare. And I think that it will take time. It's exactly what you said before, Stephen, because unlike Perkins and Will, it's a great example. It's a good company. It's a large company. It takes a lot of time for there to be a formal computational design role or something to trickle down. And I'm seeing one or two larger companies, maybe, for example, a large company which is designing stadiums, they will hire a computational designer. But even then, that's what that term is. And even then, as like what a computational designer does, specializes in, is incredibly different based upon if they're programming, are they they a grasshopper whiz and all this stuff. So I'm, 
I still see it as a bit of a niche. It's very rare that um, those skills become more in, in mainstream architecture. And yeah. so the only examples I've seen it more is, for example, like knee on the line, right? So all the crazy stuff. And you mentioned this because you set up all these cool offices in the Middle East and stuff. I think there's an opportunity there for for design and programming so i will see roles come through with looking for someone with rhino and grasshopper so yeah. that is in terms of mainstream architecture their version of the bleeding edge however what we know is that rhino and grasshopper has been around even since i've been doing my part one or part two so to answer what you said no i think that what you're doing is the bleeding edge and with that comes all the excitement but also becomes the challenge that I imagine you as a business owner looking for someone with a particular skill that yeah. it's harder to find those people. So maybe yeah. is that useful? I think it's going to take time. It is going to take time. It was weird. It was, it was disheartening that I saw an advert from a developer and the developer was looking for designers with expertise in chat GPT and mid journey. And was, that was quite scary. Okay. If our clients are asking for it in advance of your ability to do it, I think that actually, I think that is a problem for the industry. If the clients and developers start taking that on board and trying to do that themselves and automating some of that process, that then does start taking away from our industry because they figure out how to use it before we do. So I think we need to be conscious of that as well. That's a good point. And hopefully then we can get reins on it. I'm hopeful if someone's putting in the job spec must use chat GPT. They don't fully understand it yet because I can use chat GPT by using a prompt line. Doesn't mean that what's going to come out is going to be good. But you're right. I know what you're saying. The thinking's going that direction, which yeah. could be the slippery modular architect. Modular developers have been hiring in-house for a while. And I do think that trend will go, but that's more in a tech line. I don't think that the the mainstream, we've got to worry just yet, but I could be really wrong, Steve. I could eat my words and you're right. There could be all these chat GPT prompt people in-house and developers putting stuff in. You yeah. just don't know. We'll find yeah. out. We'll find out. But until then, just before we go, because you're actually doing your stuff on the front line, you're not using prompts in chat GPT. You're, you're looking at the big data. You're doing all this cool stuff. If people have watched this and they want to learn a little bit more, whether they're a developer, whether they're an architect, whatever, how would they get in contact with you, Steve, to say hello and learn more? Yeah, they can just drop me an email, actually. It's Stephen, and it was a V at io-atelier.com. And that's Brilliant. It. Yeah, that's the easiest way to do it. I've got one sort of elevator pitch up. I'm probably going to put to you finish off as well. So it seems to go down really well. People can comprehend it. So there was Netflix commissioned a study, I say seven years ago, six, seven years ago, where they were looking at their data. They were looking at what people were watching, what people were searching for and couldn't find, breaking it down by demographics and really analyzing their data. And then they were getting external data on trends. So they pulled this all together. So they aggregated the data. And then they gave it relevance and meaning and weights. And they came up with three sort of key concepts, key ideas. And it was slasher movies. People were loving that. Teen TV. That was great. Everybody wants that. And 80s nostalgia. So that was the brief for Stranger Things. So everybody thinks Stranger Things was this creative genius came up with it. It wasn't. It was everybody's idea. It was just aggregated data. So that sounds cool. It's, wow, that's really amazing. But my point is, right, when I see clients, it's really cool. But unless you have really good directors and actors and actresses and production crews and lighting and making all the stuff you need, 
all you've got is a really good idea about implementation. What you need is really great data and relevant data and really great creativity. You bring those two things together and then you pretty much is where we are these days, it, you're more guaranteeing a success. You're de-risking your project. And that's basically what our vision is, what my vision is and moving forward. I'm sold. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I encourage anyone here, if that makes sense to you, or food for thought, you think about it, but you should check out all the stuff that Stephen's got on IO Atelier Online. And for the audio listeners, if you're not watching the video, it is www.io and then the, the dash hyphen thing, Atelier, I-E-T-E-L-I-E-R. Dot com. My goodness, I nearly butchered that, butchered that with my Welsh accent, but I will put it in the description as well. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being Thank here and you. making time no, out of your day. I, I really appreciate it. And for you, the listeners, for asking questions, joining in, I really appreciate it as well. Join me tonight. We'll be doing a special on inclusivity and behavior in architecture. So we've done the tech-driven, and now we will go to us quirky humans tonight. Stephen, you've been an absolute star. Stay on the stage now. And for one or two more minutes while I close down the live stream. But thank you, everyone, and see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye now. <laughs>